and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. And Father, we thank you for how gracious you've been to us, how gracious you continue to be with us. And as we sang tonight, because of your, your mercies, we're not ashamed. And thank you for that, Lord. You, you've done such an incredible work in us that we can't help but to praise you. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies, they're tender and over all your works. And Father, we come to you tonight and help us to just hear from you, Lord, to bask in your presence, the glory of your presence, the beauty of your presence, the compassion that you have. And we, we're so grateful that, that you are a compassionate God. You're slow to anger. And Father, you, uh, you've blessed us so. And I pray you would bless us with your word tonight. Uh, you've certainly given us a heart for you as we've worshiped you, Lord. And may, may it have been sweet to you, Lord. And may everything we do here tonight be music, sweet music to your ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good evening, family. Good evening. As we continue in 1 Kings chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 29. And we've seen some warning signs in the life of Solomon. And we're going to see tonight that he's, he's taking some steps in the wrong direction. And, you know, we can have a tendency to do the same thing, too. And it all... The source of it all is, as we're going to find out with Solomon, is when we depart from obedience to God's word. But here in this section, we're going to see how the, the wealth of Solomon, the great wealth that he has is, is described, the wealth of Solomon and his kingdom. So let's take a look at verse 14. 1 Kings chapter 10, it says, Now the weight of gold that, was, that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred threescore and six talents of gold. That's 666 talents of gold. And if we were to take that and, uh, and define it in today's terms, it's about 25 tons. $1,360,000,000 worth in today's Funds, so I would suggest, and this is just one year, I would suggest that Solomon isn't hurting financially. Besides that, there's the, the trade from merchants from nations all around him, and we see this in verse 15. It says, Beside that, he had of the merchantmen and of the traffic of the spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the country. Governors of the country speaks of those that collected taxes. And Solomon, he taxed the common man very heavily. And of course, it, it all added to the building of his financial kingdom. Let's look at verse 16 through 20. And King Solomon made 200 targets or large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went to one target. 
And he made 300 shields of beaten gold, three pound of gold went to the one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind, and there were stays on either side of the place of the seat, which are armrests, and two lions stood beside the stays. And twelve lions stood there on one side and on the other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. So Solomon went ahead and he made a great throne for himself. Evidence now that his heart is turning. His heart is turning toward himself. And you might look at this and say, hey, the the king, he needed a place to sit, right? Well, clearly... There's a much greater message than just a place to sit. It had another message about where Solomon was heading, a man now of of prestige, wealth, and certainly to be noticed. His, His throne, six steps. The king was well above any of his subjects. There's nothing like this, the Bible says, ever made for any other king talks about lions, which are symbols of royalty. Lion, of course, the king of the beasts. And the symbol of Solomon's royalty, he had to have 12 of them. Now, it sends kind of a message, doesn't it? It sends a message that there's wealth, there's power. But it doesn't end there. In verse 17, all, all of King Solomon's drinking vessels, it says, excuse me, in In verse 21, vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. In other words, silver, it meant nothing. Silver? Who, Who in Solomon's kingdom would stoop so low to use silver? Its value is... In comparison to the gold that he had, what he's saying, it's next to nothing. Well, it sounds a bit to me like his ego is getting in a way, doesn't it, to you? For the king, verse 22, had at sea, so it wasn't only on land, at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram, once in three years came to the navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver Ivory and apes and peacocks. Peacocks in the King James really means monkeys. So he has this second fleet. There's one in the Red Sea. There's one in the Mediterranean Sea that Solomon sent to pick up all his exotic stuff. Well, think about it. What else would a king have to spend his money on? Why not a few apes and gold and silver and ivory? All the other things and monkeys, of course. He sent out his fleet every three years. Let's look at verse 23. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. Take note of the order here. For riches and for wisdom. Back in in chapter 7, it was wisdom and prosperity or riches. Wisdom was first. Wisdom was primary. And we talked about this back then. Wisdom is the prime gift that God gives us. But here we see it's now riches and wisdom. The riches are first. So I'd suggest things are beginning to go sideways for Solomon. 
in all the earth, verse 24, sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. And they, speaking of those who went to seek his wisdom, they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices, horses and mules, at a rate year by year. All these people coming from all over the world to hear of Solomon's wisdom and bringing presents to him. You want to see the king? Make sure you bring something. Bring a present and make sure it's a good one. So the meeting that we, we talked about last time that Solomon had <clears throat> excuse me, with the queen of Sheba, it wasn't a one of a kind. There's others coming from all over the world to hear his wisdom, and it was part of his weekly life. In Solomon, verse 26, he gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. Horses, chariots by the thousands. I say danger. King Solomon. Why? Why do I think this is dangerous? Well, think back to the warnings that God gave to the kings. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. It says, But he shall not multiply, speaking of the king, shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. He said, you're not to multiply horses unto yourself. And horses are a symbol of power. The more horses, the more power. And we see this, of course, in the automotive world as well. But more horses, more power. So the leader, God has given him a warning in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, he says, you're not, you're not to be consumed with power. You are not to be power hungry. With the symbol of power and authority, God's warning that the accumulation of it, what, well, what would be the result of that? You know, putting all this stuff around him, all the, all the power that he could possibly muster, well, to me it says that if that's the case, then I think God is telling him, then you won't depend upon God anymore. God won't be the one that you trust in for security, but rather trusting in what? The arm of your own flesh. And it's in this context I want to talk about power and, power and authority. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word power, the root of that is the word authority. The power that Jesus has, he said, listen, it's been given to me. So what power do we have on our own? We don't have any on our own. At least sometimes we think that we might. But Jesus said, no, you don't have any on your own. It all comes from him and it all points to a need for our dependence upon Jesus and not of ourselves. 
And Jesus isn't saying, I have all the power and I'm going to keep it to myself. No, he distributes his power to his disciples. The word power there is the word exousia, means, again, the authority. He's saying, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's been given sovereign authority. means that God's word, he, it's standing, and it's the final word. It is non-negotiable. And, of course, there's many people that believe that the word of God is up for debate. We hear it every day. The word of God is up for discussion, but God says, no, I have the final say. So as his disciples, Jesus has received power from his Father, but he also gives us as his disciples power also and his authority. And he gave Solomon his power and his authority, but Solomon, well, he got lost in in the power that he accumulated and he forgot the commands of God. Notice what Jesus said. The authority or power in heaven means the heavenlies, the unseen world, the spirit realm. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, tells us this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, and we know this, we, we sense this, we see it. There's, there's an unseen war going on. But we can't forget that Jesus has the authority. And you know what? Under his authority, no demon, no legion of demons can withstand Jesus. And any power that they have, Jesus has allowed that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 Speaking of Jesus, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet. Again, that's the authority that he has, and he does, he does give it out. He allows the demons even to take, have some power. Colossians 2, verse 15 Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a spectacle, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. So he has the power to give, he has the power to take away. Angels worship Jesus, and they serve him. What do demons do? Well, they certainly don't worship him. They shake and tremble at his presence, for he has the authority in heaven, but also in the earth. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, the world as we see it now, it, it seems to be out of control. It seems like it, but Jesus isn't without control. He has everything under his control. And he told us in advance what we would see today that it would take place. Remember, family, in the Olivet Discourse we studied, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, Jesus said, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He said, and see that you be not troubled. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't don't get yourselves in an uproar. Don't get yourselves all tied up in knots, worrying, and don't be terrified. Why? Because all these things, all the things that we're seeing, all the things that will be forthcoming, he said, they must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You know, so many Christians throughout the world, when they hear of wars and rumors of wars, they get very troubled. They panic. 
terrified. Questions like, well, is this the end? Is this the big one? Is this the final one? But Jesus said, don't worry about that. Don't be troubled. The doubters say, well, it's here. But Jesus said, don't be deceived. And don't be troubled when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Well, listen, I I think it would behoove us to trust Jesus when he said, be not troubled. He tells us not to be troubled, but to do what? To trust in him. And we can ask questions like, well, what if? What if we're sending more tanks to Russia? Now, what what if? God says, don't be troubled. What if we send fighter jets? Excuse me, I meant to Ukraine. To the Ukraine. What happens? What's Russia going to do? God says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled over any of these things. Because Jesus said rumors of wars and wars are part of life. They will happen. They must happen, but the end is not yet. You see, he is in authority. And Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. Well, in his context, what is Jesus doing with his authority? You know, as we've studied in the book of Acts on Sundays, he does something very special in the church with his authority, and it's this. He has given to us, that's you and me, he's given us power. In verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What kind of power did he give us? The power to be witnesses. He gave power to his church, and then he said, go, but don't go until Luke 24, 49, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye, or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's the power that he gives us, the power of God's Holy Spirit. It comes from him. You see, God wanted the kings to trust him. God wants us to trust him. He's never said anywhere in the scriptures, don't trust me. On the contrary, he said, you can trust me, you should trust me, you ought to trust me. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's a very important verse because look what Solomon began to do. He began to trust in horses and chariots. And God warned the kings against that. Here in 1 Kings 10, he gathered, Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. And where there are chariots and horsemen, there has to be horses, right? No, a lot of them. Because he's got a lot of them. So this warning was not heeded by Solomon. Second, we saw in Deuteronomy 17, 17, the king is not to be a womanizer, multiplying women to himself. Why? Because his heart will turn away. And we're going to see when we get to chapter 11, Lord willing, that Solomon violated this this command to the utmost. And the third thing, we're going to touch on this today. He's not to be greedy. He shall not multiply to himself silver and gold. What did we just read? We see an incredible accumulation of gold, so much gold that silver wasn't much of an interest anymore. Psalm 62, verse 10, 
It says, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And maybe you know of someone or, or some folks that, you know, some kind of windfall, some kind of money coming in. All of a sudden, God's no longer in the picture. Trusting in God, has dis- the trust in God has disappeared. Why? Trusting in riches. But God says, if riches increase, set your, your heart not upon them because he wants us to trust in him. God warns against this kind of treasure. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For your treasure is there, will your heart be also." And Jesus is so good to us that he tells us the difference between real treasures and fake treasures. And he wants us to be certain that the treasures we have are the treasures that he wants us to have. And we know that there's a lot of treasure in the world today. But you know, the vast majority of people, for them, it's fake treasure that provides what? Fake security. And it's based on a fake premise that he that accumulates the most wins. But listen... Don't get me wrong, either because Jesus is not against wealth. He is not against money. He's not against finances. He just wants you and me. He wants us as believers to put him number one and to have a proper perspective. Because 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. He said the love of it. That's misplaced devotion, isn't it? Jesus wants our full devotion. And Jesus teaches us what real treasure is all about. Again, verses 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for your treasures there will your heart be also. You see, Jesus wants us to have real treasures. And let me say this. A rich man is really poor when he just can't get enough. Well, take a survey of Solomon's life. The richest man that ever lived He had this to say in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. He said this is all also vanity. So he's saying those who love money will never have enough. And how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And surely Solomon would know. For as we've we've read here how much he's accumulated desperately trying to accumulate more and more and more, and he successfully accumulated more and more and more. And then he drew a couple of startling conclusions. First, and he stated this five times, he said, all is vanity. All this is just, it's just stuff. It's all vanity. 
And in the final conclusion, here's what he said. In Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, he said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He said, let us hear the conclusion. Fear God and keep His commandments. A man of modest means said to a man of great wealth, I have more than you do. And a wealthy man asked, how so? And the man answered, because I have all I want and you want more. He was satisfied with what he had. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Psalm 37, verses 16 and 17 says, a little that is right Excuse me, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. A lady once asked two little boys who were amusing themselves with some beautiful playthings. She said, Well, boys, these are your treasures, I suppose, your greatest treasures. The boy said, No, ma'am. These are not our treasures, they are our playthings. Our treasures are in heaven. Isn't that true? All this stuff is, is playthings. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 15, verse 6. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. What's he saying? He's saying wealth increases worry. You've got to accumulate it, you've got to track it, you monitor it, blah, 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 blah. Eyes are focused, focused, focused on the wrong things. That's what he's saying. God didn't say you ought not to have material things. But what he is saying is don't let material things have you. So don't be proud because these riches are uncertain. Don't trust in your possessions, but trust in the Lord who gives us all things. See, God has provided everything for us to enjoy. It all comes from him. And we need to acknowledge that it's all from him. Remember what James said in James 1.17 Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. It all comes from Him. That's the perspective that we must have. When Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, He's saying don't treasure earthly treasures, meaning that wealth has become the end rather than a means to the end. And you see, when wealth becomes the goal or the objective, then we're treasuring earthly treasure, treasures. Well, if that's the case, then, then we need to understand what the opposite is also, and that is, what are heavenly treasures? Well, the Apostle Peter wrote about this. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, he said, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter's talking about what we've laid up for, our, for ourselves in heaven. And here's how he describes it. He describes it as an inheritance. And he said, listen, it, it can't be corrupted. Earthly treasures, they become corrupted. He said, not heavenly treasures. He said, your treasures in heaven are undefiled. Earthly treasures are full of defilement. We know that the love of money, we just said, is the root of all evil. Peter says, our heavenly inheritance, it, it's undefiled. And you see, our heavenly treasures don't have to be guarded, do they? No, they're there. They'll never be discarded. 
they're not going to fade away like a crashing stock market. The government can't take it. Inflation won't eat at it. Why? Because the Word of God says it's reserved in heaven just for you. That's a good deal. Now, when we talk about real treasures to be laid up in heaven, what is Jesus talking about? How can we have treasures in heaven? Well, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 19, he said, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Well, how can we do that? Well, you've heard the expression, you can't take it with you, and that's true, but you can send it on ahead. Don't worry, I'm not, not saying we're going to be pleading for money here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about laying up heavenly treasures. And the only way to do that is to invest in something that's going to heaven. Well, think about it. What's going to heaven? Well, certainly, our praise goes to heaven. Our praising the Lord. Psalm 148 says this, and we just sing our hearts out to the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Our praise goes right to the throne of God. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. We all have breath. And, and we were using it to praise our God. So we invest in heavenly treasures by praising the Lord. How else? Well, how about prayer? Revelation 8, verse 4. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. How, how beautiful this is. We have praise and prayer right to the throne of God. And how beautiful it is to know that. And it ought, to, it ought to do something in us when we begin to worship and praise our God. It ought to temper our hearts, shouldn't it? God, this is going right to you. May this heart be right. May this heart be whole. May this heart be undefiled. May my mind be fixed upon you that everything that comes forth from my mouth with my breath bring praise to you. In our prayers, we know that God inclines his ear to us. And when we pray, we know he's listening, but we also know that if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. So again, the reminder, praise, yes. Undefiled praise, now undefiled prayer. Make that confession before the Lord. Lord, I don't want anything to stand between my mouth and your ears or my heart and your ears. I bring my sin to you. I ask you to, to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to refresh me. And God says, okay. I'll do that. Praise and prayer. What else is there? Well, certainly winning souls to Christ. And you see, winning souls to Christ, what happens? It multiplies over and over and over again. You're here because someone shared with you. And someone else is here because you shared with them. And it branches out exponentially. That's the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Souls, one to Christ, multiplying over and over. 
How about family members? Talk about a heavenly treasure. You know, we can bring our families with us. That's, that's a heavenly investment, isn't it? How beautiful it is. Pray, pray, pray for your families, children, grandchildren, siblings, parents. so that you can bring them with you. That's a heavenly investment. Back to Deuteronomy. Three things these leaders were not supposed to do. They weren't to be power hungry. How about Solomon? He was power hungry. How about woman crazy? Well, we'll get there. Mark my word, because in the Bible... He was woman crazy. And money worshiping. Yes. More and more and more. That's what a king wasn't supposed to do. But there's something else here that's really beautiful. God doesn't just say, well, don't do this. He says, do this. And we find in Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20, says, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So what's a king to do? What is a king to do so that he won't be power hungry, he won't be women crazy or money worshiping? And this is great. What is the king to do when he gets to the throne? What's he to do when he takes his seat? Well, it says here in the scriptures, take a copy of the Torah. And hand it to the king and then give him a pen. The king was to take the pen and copy the Torah word for word, line by line, book by book, and he was to do this by himself. No scribe. It's to be in his own writing. The king was to keep this copy with him at all times and do what with it? Read it and heed it. Write it down. Keep it around. Read it and take it seriously. What great advice, isn't it? It's great advice for kings. It's great advice for presidents, for governors. It's great advice for us. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if our president got on his knees before the Lord? He says, give me a pen. I'm going to write. I'm going to write words of God and I'm going to keep it with me. I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to heed it. God knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? He sure does. Not only kings and rulers, it's good for us in our homes and on our jobs, wherever we are. If you want to do well, you and your children after you, here's what we get to do. 
You know how wonderful this is. We get to do this. We get to take the book, this book. We get to take this Word of God, and it's written here for us, but we can ask God to write it upon our hearts as we read it. God, I'm reading this now, and I don't want it to just be words on a page. Would you please take these words and write them right on my heart so I don't forget them and I can live them out? And as you read it, you know, I, I like to mark up my Bible. There's notes all over the place in here. I think it's, it's important for me. It, it, it's probably important for most people because when we write something, it tends to have a bit more meaning, doesn't it? Take notes. Journal if you so desire. And when you write, at least when I write, I have a sense of expectation that that God, you're, you're saying something to me that's worth capturing, something worth writing, something worth recording. And I love it because I can go back through the, my Bible as I read it over again and say, oh, yeah, God spoke to me on such and such a date. You know, Jackie is very, very faithful, and she has a one-year Bible that's literally, the thing is falling apart. But day by day, she reads it and she writes down events that take place, prayer needs, prayer requests, praise reports, you name it. And she can look back on it over the, over the years and say, oh my goodness, yeah. This is what happened 13 years ago on this date or whatever it might be. And praise God that that's no longer a concern, no longer an issue. Or God, you instructed me back then. And I listened to you. And I praise you for what you did in my life or in the lives of my loved ones. It's a wonderful thing to write down. Say, for example, some wealthy person said, I'm going to give you a 20-digit number, and in one year, if you write to me and tell me the number, I'm going to send you $10,000. Would you do it? I expect that we all would do it. Why not write down what God is sharing with us? That's something much more valuable something that's eternal. So I want to encourage you, take notes. Write up, mark in your Bible. I know some people don't like to mark in their Bible, and that's okay. Whatever God puts on your heart. But the important thing is, do what God said as to the kings. Write it down. Because when you do, you're going to demonstrate a spirit of expectancy that, God, you're going to say something to me worth writing down so that I don't forget it, so that I do remember. So God told the kings what not to do. He also said, here's what you are to do. It's protection, isn't it? God said, do this for your own good, your own protection, and keep it with you. You know, it's kind of cool. You know, I like to keep a Bible with me, and I don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be in book form anymore. You know, there's, I don't know how many Bible versions I can bring up on my phone. And if I have a need, I can look something up or just, you know, if I'm in, in the car, I can have it recite to me while I'm driving. I don't want to read it. It's probably not the best thing I'm in the car. But, but I can listen and God can speak. So today we have Bibles in our pockets. Share or read when you have a moment or two. And the king that wants to make an impact on his lives and his life and the lives of his family is one who writes it down and keeps it around. 
And the last point I want to make tonight is take the word of God seriously. Fear the Lord. Keep the words of this law and these statutes and do them. That's the responsibility of a king. And that's the responsibility that you and I have too. Well, you know what? We are kings and priests. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood. Don't you love that? That's us. So we're as the kings in the Old Testament. The instruction is, is the same. Read the word. Write the word. Heed the word. How did Solomon get in trouble? He didn't heed the word of God. And that's how we find ourselves in trouble too. Here's what it says. We'll just wrap up with these last verses in 1 Kings chapter 10. I'll start at verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. In other words, so common, so plentiful, it was just like stones. And cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. And the king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. In other words, at the market price, the going price of the day. No discounts. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver. That's what they're selling him for. And a horse for 150 and so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria did they bring them out by their means. In other words, they, they started an export business. Started selling and buying and all kinds of stuff in order to what? To accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And God says, no, that's not what I want my kings to do. I want my kings to rule with wisdom. I want my kings to be of a pure heart. I want my kings to be in the Word and to read the Word and have the Word read them. Isn't it wonderful the Word of God reads us too? My goodness, we think we're reading the book, but the book reads us. God knows us. He knows what we need to know. He knows what we need to know. He knows what we need to hear, and He knows that we need to heed what we hear. Amen? Amen. That's where Solomon fell apart. And he realized in his final days... You know, imagine when he said all is vanity, he probably, in today's terms, would have said, man, I really blew it. But God still loved him. God still cared about him. God still honored him. And yes, we all, we all stumble, we all fall, but the reminders that God gives us are so important so that we can stay on the right path, so that we can walk with our God all the days of our life, so we won't slip into things we ought not slip into keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the things you tell us in the Word uh, tonight, things that we're not to do, but also the things that we are to do. 
You give us prohibitions and you give us instruction. And we need both. We need, we need the full counsel of God, and I'm so grateful that, that you've given us your, your whole counsel. I'm so grateful that you've given us everything that we need to know and, and to, to learn in this life that would enable us to understand you more and to understand ourselves better too. Father, we thank you for King Solomon. Uh, he started out well and didn't end up so well, but, but he learned lessons along the way. And I thank you, Lord, that we learn lessons along the way too. And help us, Father, uh, help us day by day to keep our focus where it belongs, to heed that which you say, to obey your word, and to walk with our God all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's